0: Today, a groundbreaking move for both para-sport and women's sport. Hello, it's Mark Shardler here. Thanks for joining me. hope you've enjoyed this week. Uh, on Monday, I chatted to Emily Campbell, who came back from the European Weightlifting Championships with a bunch of medals and, all being well, qualification for Tokyo this summer. We also heard from George Peasgood, the Paratroathlete, who's been competing and is getting ready to fly to Japan for a World Series event. And then yesterday, Patrick Houston, who's been contributing to this podcast from the World go, was officially named as part of Team GB's archery squad for Tokyo this summer. And Patrick was absolutely full of it. Well, today we're going to reflect on some interesting news in the world of para-sport that came out a couple of days ago. And joining me is the BBC Radio and Channel 4 TV reporter, Andy Stevenson. Nice to be here. What about then the news from wheelchair basketball? It seems quite incredible, really, that there is going to be a professional women's league.
1: It's great news, I think, not just for wheelchair basketball, but um, para-sport generally in this country, because I believe this is going to be the first... um, professional league in the UK in any para sport so it's a significant step and um, great for the sport of basketball that it's them that are able to do it and I think it comes at a time when wheelchair basketball is is absolutely on the up you know both the women's and the men's national teams are you know in the top three well I was going to say top three or four but in Paralympic terms I suppose we should concentrate on the top three shouldn't we but uh, certainly you know they've they're at the top of the tree in terms of world championships and they're very much medal contenders um, in Tokyo. So I think this is only going to help, obviously, the the women's team, because you would imagine this will bring lots of new players through, having a professional league to play in. The men's national team, actually, a lot of them play overseas in in professional leagues overseas. So I think they'll be sort of looking across thinking, OK, well... If the women can do it, perhaps the men can do it in future years. But it's um it's tremendous. It's tremendous for the sport and and participation.
0: It's the visibility, I suppose, that is really important, not just as an awareness, but as you said, you know, attracting new people to the sport must be fantastic.
1: Yeah, I mean, interestingly, Mark, I've been um, looking back at a lot of nineteen sixty four Tokyo Paralympic uh, material at the moment. I've been looking back through archive and and reading about that that games a lot and you know, even when you go back to Ludwig Gutmann and Stoke Mandeville and the birth of the Paralympic Games, wheelchair basketball was there right from the start. And like you, you know, I speak to a lot of um, uh, athletes with disabilities who started sport or or started their recovery, actually, or started their rehab by playing wheelchair basketball. They may have moved on to other sports. I mean, for example, um, I was filming recently with Dave Henson, who's the Invictus Games and, and Paralympic sprinter. And in that military environment, particularly, basketball is a sport that's used um, as part of of the sort of not just the recovery, but actually also the camaraderie and the support network for injured soldiers who are thinking, "What are they going to do with themselves now?" So I think it's Appropriate that it is the wheelchair basketball that's leading the way and, and bringing in this first professional para sport league in this country. And on top of all that, it's um, it's just a great sport. You know, I, I was very very lucky to watch a lot of the wheelchair basketball at the Rio Paralympics. I hope to do the same in Tokyo. And it's by far one of the most accessible and exciting and atmospheric sports at at any Paralympic games you go to. It's always played in a great arena. It always attracts uh, big crowds and the actual action on offer is uh, top, top level and, and very easy to watch and be sort of um, taken along by, I guess.
0: Yeah, I feel really lucky that one of the teams is just down the road from me here at Loughborough, so it'll be an appointment for me to go and watch, and uh, like you say, it's it's always one of the highlights of the Paralympics for me. Ha, you've been looking then at the 1964 Paralympics. How did it look?
1: It's fantastic and fascinating watching... The old kind of, it's not quite Pathé News, of course, that's probably, uh, Pathé News is, I associate more with the the sort of 30s and 40s, I guess. But it is still, you know, black and white, very, uh, very kind of newsy voiceovers. You know, the British squad here, you know, getting onto their plane to fly to Japan, etc. And... I mean, it's a time warp. You know, I think one of, the, one of the great great fun things about watching the 64 footage is actually sort of even outside of the sport. You know, you're, you're seeing Tokyo in 1964 and um, things look very different and there's fewer skyscrapers and uh, even the neon signs and everything are in black and white. But in terms of the, the Paralympics, one of the kind of quirky things, I guess, is that there were, I mean, snooker was in the Paralympics in 1964. A man called Mike Shelton won, I think it was a gold medal. If Mike Shelton's family are listening and, and he won silver or bronze, then please do correct me, but I'm fairly certain he won a gold medal in snooker. Um, there was a lot of archery. There was also a sport called darchery. So it was uh, archery, but with a D on the a D on the front and, and the letter T in there somewhere. Um, as I say, basketball was there. There was... Um, weightlifting rather than powerlifting my research hasn't gone far enough to know whether uh, it is the same sport as powerlifting and they were just calling it something different but um and obviously then you know uh, track and field um swimming i think also one of the things that strikes me actually when you look at the 1964 footage is that it's it was undeniably an event i think that had a lot of wheelchair events. I think, you know, across all of the sports, the predominant disability was, you know, I, I guess either spinal injury or some other disability that um required a wheelchair. I mean there are no uh, running blades and um there you know there are very few um people with some of the disabilities that we would we would see now at the Paralympics. And and again I guess that's that's a sign of how the Paralympics is developed, but also, you know, medical science and um access to sports and all sorts of things you could probably write a thesis about the the changing face of the paralympics but um yeah it's really good and and you end up you know when when you end up sort of reading lots of wikipedia pages or looking at lots of youtube pages and you find yourself going down this rabbit hole and i mean that's that's kind of where i am at the moment i've, I've got, I've got lots of stuff to do today but the minute I click on the 1964 archive link that's me gone then for a couple of hours.
0: <laughs> great sounds a great job I mean, we've, we've had a great week because both you and I have been out filming this week and talking to real athletes both Olympians and potential Paralympians. Um, I get the feeling that everyone is really really getting excited now. How about you?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think we've gone beyond the kind of is it happening, is it not happening to it's definitely happening. And we, we need to to get ourselves in gear and, um, you know, there's something to look forward to at the end of this long tunnel that we've all been stuck in. And it's just been it's been brilliant just getting out and filming, to tell you the truth. You know, we because it's not just I think all of us who sort of are lucky enough to do this kind of filming work. There's always that. um Moment where you think, oh, it's nice to get out of the office and do some actual filming. Well, of course, that's heightened by the fact that we haven't really been in the office either. And um, we've been at home and we've not been seeing each other and we've been communicating via video link all the time. And so it's nice to get out and do some filming because that's what we're, you know, that's what our job is meant to be and um, what the games coverage relies on. But it's also just been nice to get out, be able to see the athletes. Um, be with your colleagues again, be out in the fresh air. I've been lucky that the two big shoots I've done in the last week have both been at kind of exciting, lovely outdoor locations as well. So you just sort of sat there and just breathed it all in. So um, yes, hopefully that can absolutely continue.
0: Yeah, the weather helps, doesn't it? I my two shoots were on both beautiful sunny days, and I thought this is this is the job I want. So, <laughs> well, I yeah.
1: know you're not, so we're not on video at the moment. If I turn around and show you the back of my neck, you'll see that um, I enjoyed the sun a little bit too much. Bright red there, but uh, no, it's good. It's been really good to get out.
0: Very good. Well, the countdown's ticking, it's almost a hundred days to go to the Paralympics. Is that a significant moment for you when it ticks round to ninety nine?
1: It makes me very nervous. Yeah, I mean, I think. there's a lot to do in those, in those um, hundred days. I think, you know, one of the tricky things, I think for some of the sports, when it comes to the kind of media coverage is that quite understandably, their training schedules and also competition schedules have been thrown up in the air and are still ever changing. You know, I, I I believe even just um, this week, I think the men's, wheelchair basketball guys who play in Spain, I think their, their league has just been extended into June. So it looks like the male basketball players won't be coming back to the UK before June. Um, whereas normally, I guess, they would have been here for fairly regular meetups and, and training camps. So straight away, you know, if, if you're sat here thinking, right, we really want to do something with the, the men's GB squad, we can't until much later in the summer. So... You know things like that happening for completely fair and and, um, and understandable reasons, and there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to sort of roll with it. But um, it's it's a challenge, yeah. So 100 days makes me uh, makes me nervous. I'm going to have to work twice as hard today. Now, <laughs>
0: <laughs> sorry to spoil your sunny Friday, Andy. Great to talk to you. Thanks for your insight as ever, and lovely to see you again, even with your redneck.
1: <laughs> thank you very much
0: that's Andy Stevenson from Channel 4 and BBC Radio Sport now next week I'm hoping to have Team GB's newest mum I'm also going to speak to the brother and sister who are aiming for Paralympic gold the British Olympic swimming team for Tokyo is announced at the end of the week uh, there's the latest from the power who's hoping to beat the odds and Crohn's disease and make it to Tokyo this summer and 10 years of the Lee Valley Whitewater Centre, which has crafted some of GB's most recent Olympic medals. That's all for next week. Thank you very much for joining me, and I'll wish you a good weekend and see you soon. Bye-bye.